Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. You've heard me say so many times on this show, and here we are in season three, I continue to meet the most amazing people around the globe from every sector, which is why I feel we are this borderless society now. We, we know what sector we work in, but with technology and the ability to be heart-centered and align with people and have meaningful conversations, it seems like a limitless highway to me. And it's one that I'm so happy to be on. I have another amazing heart-centered leader to introduce you today. I have Dr. Toby Travis on the show, and I want to tell you a little bit about him before we have an amazing interview. Dr. Toby Travis and the Trusted Framework for Developing Trusted Leadership is really what his mission and fulfillment of life is about. He considers it to be a well-being of businesses. I, I love that phrase, and I can't wait to talk to him about that. He has uh, been featured in Forbes. CEO World Magazine, Authority Magazine, The Knowledge Review, and many more. He has an interesting story that we're going to dive into. And he has decades of experience for doing research. He's a trusted leader. And there's so many things I could tell you about him, but I'd rather have an engaging conversation. So Dr. Toby, welcome to the show. Hello, Deb. Thank you for having me. I always love reading bios, but I'd rather bring that bio to life and have a great conversation and excited to talk to you today. And I want to thank you for your time and becoming a guest on the show. And I really want to dig in today to the work that you, you're doing and the model that you've created. So if you're ready, I've got some leadership questions coming your way. I'm, I'm ready. Bring it on. One of the proposed topics that you had really passionately wanted to talk about was trust. And we all know that it's it's the foundation and the cousin to rapport in any relationship. So my first question is, how have you seen trust between leaders and employees or even the community at large? You've witnessed it being broken, but you've also been on the upscale, if you will, for helping that get repaired. Can you share a little bit uh, of a scenario or a story or a strategy and just bring us into your world in that regard? Well, most of my work has been in the education sector for quite a long time now. And I, I remember back my first teaching classroom experience, and I think I was a bit naive uh, coming into the, that setting, you know, I just assume, hey, we're all here for the kids, right? We're all here for the learning. And and unfortunately, what I came into was uh, really what we would describe today as a toxic work environment and really hostility between the administration and the faculty and staff. 
And then what happened over a very short amount of time uh, in the course of, well, I was at that school for seven years. Um, I ended up being in leadership and even senior leadership before I left. So I went from, you know, in the classroom to managing the classrooms and, and really had an opportunity then and I'm so blessed to have worked with some really some amazing and wonderful people who are willing to be transparent, who are willing to talk about the elephant in the room, and then to try to figure out some strategies and steps forward to intentionally change that culture. And, and first of all, it began with, I think, intentionally trying to understand what was going on. And, and for me, as somebody new, when I first came, I had no clue. What, what is everybody so upset about? You know, And so I had to kind dig into culture and earlier blunders by leadership and then own it. And then, you know, often as leaders, we inherit problems that we did not create, but we still have to solve them. And so that takes, uh, you were asking, you know, strategies, I guess, you know, to me, one of the biggest uh, or one of the most important strategies and skill sets of uh, heart-centered leaders, listening just to be able to actually listen and really listen. And that involves asking lots of questions uh, without trying to get to a solution. Uh, it means take the time to hear people well. And, and so that was, that was kind of a starting place. And I'm very happy to say that by the time my journey was done with that school, we, we did see a wonderful turnaround and we saw some very, very healthy and important improvements to uh, the school culture and the residual benefits. One of the things that I, I love to talk about as well, Deb, is when you get this right, all kinds of good things start happening. And I've seen that in the education sector. I've seen it in the business sector. I've seen it in the nonprofit world. When there are trusted leaders and trusted relationships between coworkers, all kinds of wonderful things start happening that you you really didn't intentionally go after, but you start seeing innovation. You start seeing uh, just a higher level of engagement of everyone and the, the, the production level, if you will, just goes up. But you've got to get that right first. So well, that, that was kind of my introduction to being passionate about this. And concurrently, uh, back in those, those years, it was also when I started to do my serious studies on trust. And thus, that was the focus of my doctoral program. There's so many beautiful nuggets to unpack there. I love that you said that we have to talk about the elephant in the room. You know, if we go with the old cliche, you can't deflate the elephant until you talk about it. I love that. And also taking ownership for what is truly going on from a behavioral perspective. You can't fix a culture until someone is is able to really analyze it, observe, listen. But there needs to be some ownership. And the other big point I want to talk about is inheriting problems. Every leader takes over from their predecessor. And like you said, Rome, I, I love the cliche, Rome wasn't built in a day. One leader that I had on the show said Rome was built day by day. So sometimes it's those small tweaks in languaging that really help move forward. And, and the listening, you're right. It's that attentive listening, not to consider an outcome, have an outcome, but just to be fully present. And it's difficult for people to sit in the observer's chair because as human beings, we just want to help and we want to fix. 
but the intent is to not be solution-based. So I really love the way you frame that. Now, my second question has permanent residency. I'm never going to take it off the show because I think it's such an individual connection for each of the guests that I've had. Share with us what imperfections that you bring to your heart-centered leadership. This wasn't always true, <laughs> um, but I, I I became a data geek. Maybe that was, you know, as, as I pursued advanced degrees and saw just the importance of it, uh, certainly in my my young adult life, I, that it wasn't something I was I was obsessed with. <laughs> and I'm not defending it yet. I'll get to defending it, Deb, in a moment. But I, I think, my, yeah, my imperfection is is also, you know, sometimes our, our weaknesses is our strength, right? So in my team, they'll tell you, they're, oh, he's, he's always asking, what's the data set? What's the data set? Well, because to me, when we're looking at organizational improvement, school improvement, uh, you know, Stephen Covey, it's all about speed, right? He talks about the speed of trust. And the reason that's so important is when we know the trust levels are high, everything is faster and better. And, we, and, with that, and this is what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to solve problems. So I do tend to be, uh, again, uh, a bit of a data geek. And and I know not everyone can relate to that, but I also, there is a, you know, there, there's the negative vibe that's out there. People say, well, data can tell you anything. Well, not really. <laughs> you know, that that's kind of a myth that's out there. We're going, oh, you can manipulate the data to save everyone. Well, no, not really. Not, not if you really know how to truly look at data and use data. Now, can that happen incorrectly? Yeah, perhaps uh, it can manipulate, but you know, if, if we know what data to look for. So again, I'm defending myself already, but I guess my, my imperfection tied to that though then, and, and here's where maybe it gets a little bit more self-revealing is I'll get absorbed in the reading. I'll get absorbed in, well, who else looked at this? Uh, what else is out there? Because what you learn is there's always more than two sides to a story. There's 15 or more. And when you're trying to make good decisions, um, what I've learned is you, you want to make those decisions slowly and you want to get as much information as you can. So here I'm going to get to the imperfection. Depth. I have to train myself and I have to empower my assistant to kick me out of my office right? Good leaders are visible. And I know this. And actually, the data shows you this, right? And even though I know that, I get so engrossed in reading and learning and engaging with the material. I'm not as intentional as I should be in just get out and get in the hallways and, you know, get in the classrooms in my case, or, uh, and, and so I literally have a, on my calendar, my, I have my assistant schedule my rounds. You know, I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor of a school rather than a medical doctor, but I'm, I'm doing my rounds. And that is so needed. And part of what, why I don't naturally do that is because I, I just get lost in, in, in just constantly reading and looking at the data and just, you know, what's going on in the world. So there's, there's a couple of my imperfections. Uh, one I'll defend, the other I won't, uh, because I know, no, leaders have got to be visible. And a lot of leadership happens when you're just available. 
with no agenda. You're just moving from point A to point B, but you're taking time to be seen and taking time to see individuals. And Deb, if I may do this, probably one of the best words of counsel that was given to me was by an older gentleman who had come back, actually was speaking at a school reunion. School was celebrating its 85th anniversary. He was a legend. I was actually in his former seat as far as my position at the school. And I asked him for counsel. We were out to dinner. I said, what what advice can you give me? And he said, get into every classroom every week. No agenda, just be visible. And he's right. And but it goes against uh, kind of you know my my natural skill set, and uh, so it's it's one of those imperfections that I'm continually working on. I get support networks around me to ensure that I do it um, because it does pay off, and I've seen it pay off almost every time I step outside this office. I love that, and my my definition of heart centered leadership is honoring your connection with people. So. You know, when someone in a leadership position drops in a classroom, the first kind of everybody looking around, uh oh, why is he here? And you're just there to embrace the now and be present with no agenda. And and that's when people open up and share and you get your greatest data because you're there with no reasoning. I love what you said about 15 sides of a story. I grew up with an Irish Nana and she used to say, there's three sides to a story. There's your side, their side, and what really happened. And I was like 10 or 11 years old, pre-adolescent. But it was something that really stuck to me. And the older I got and the more wisdom and maturity I had, boy, did it ever make sense. So it's interesting. So with time, it's uh, five timed itself now. As you said, there's 15 and that could be a whole podcast right there. Okay, my third question is, you talk about the number one indicator of a successful school or business is trusted leadership. And I love that you also love the quote by Abraham Lincoln, the people when rightly and fully trusted will return to the trust. You, you alluded to uh, Stephen Covey's work. I know you also like Jim Collins's quote, level five leaders understand the importance of putting people first and strategy second. You've alluded a little bit to this and what we've talked to so far. What has been your best observation of indicators in the role that you're in now? And what's kind of a proud moment that you've recently had during the pandemic? Well, again, I'll go back to the listening, uh, just, uh, you know, taking time uh, to hear and and be empathetic. You know, whenever we can be, the empathy is such a, a huge skill and and it, it really delivers so much in return. Uh, and, uh, and, and empathy doesn't mean that you have to necessarily agree with everybody. You know, it just means you understand the other individual is going through some struggle, maybe some hurt, maybe some trauma. Uh, frequently, I've, I've sat here in this office with a disgruntled parent or an angry staff member, and I can honestly say, oh, this has got to be hard for you. Now, it doesn't mean I'm agreeing with their position, but I, I can empathize that, man, this really stinks, doesn't it? Uh, and and just that element of empathy. And so I, I have seen that in leaders that I work with, and I appreciate that. You know, and, and getting through managing a school during COVID, oh, my goodness, you know, nobody nobody had that in their superintendent 101 class, right? And uh, so being able to work with a team that was very careful to uh, listen, 
to voices to monitor that. We were constantly uh, tweaking our health and safety plan in a good way. So it was okay. We kept learning new things. We were responsive to that, trying to be responsible, responsive to all stakeholders. Obviously, you know, safety of kids and staff uh, of the utmost, but also, you know, listening to parents. And of course, as you know, there was such division. You know, it's like, oh, wow, could there be any more divisive opportunity? Yes, there probably can be. But uh, watching leaders who, no, let's let's listen to these voices. And even though we may not agree with their perspective, it's a perspective and they're part of our stakeholders. They're, they're part of our community and that needs to have value. So I think I would, again, the indicator would be would be listening and, and having opportunity for others to have a voice in decisions that are being made. That would be um, another indicator that we weren't just being autocratic. We weren't just saying, well, except what we were mandated, right? You know, I mean, well, the governor told us, so here we go. Uh, that we didn't have uh, much say in. But what we could manage ourselves, that sensitivity to the whole community, really, really important. Well, and it's interesting because you have so much going on in the U.S. with your school. So part of your plan to foster that is always health and safety. And it's to the sadness of watching the news, which I don't want to talk about, but having that radical empathy and being able to sit in the observer's chair. And it doesn't mean you're taking sides or agreeing, but you can sit in that observer's chair and really understand their vantage point, where the feelings, emotions, and thoughts are coming from, which dictates that behavior. And it's so important. So the indicators of what you talked about mainly was fostering that listening, that empathy, that attentiveness as a leader because you can go in with a scheduled X amount of tasks for the day, but you've got your support team in place that say it's time for you to do your rounds. And I love that you frame that because you don't have to be a medical doctor. You still need to do your rounds as a superintendent in a school. And really it's the same skill set, isn't it? Yeah. When I'm assisting others and trying to be reflective, the indicator and that I talk about in the book a lot is where we see trust breaking down is when we state certain beliefs and values, but then we don't support and connect what we're doing in our practice to who and what we say we are as an individual or as an organization. So that would be another real uh, indicator is consistency of practice and protocols and even policies that are in alignment with who we say we are and what we value. Absolutely. And the tail end of my other question, I know you're going to answer in my last question, and that's what I want to talk about. First, I want to congratulate you on your award-winning book, Trust Ed, which I love. And the ED is capitalized, The Bridge to School Improvement. Uh, We will put the details below in our podcast episode description so our listenership can see that it's available at Amazon. You've been featured in Forbes and also been named Book of the Month in November and donated for Book of the Year for 2021 by the Magic Pen. So super exciting to share in the accolades and, and awards from this book. I think you've given us a nice glimpse into where your passion came from this book, but When did you know it was time to release and publish this book? Because I'm sure you had been working on it for a while. 
That <laughs> was a, a long journey. Um, well, again, came out of a, a doctoral program and really have, I love to give credit to my wife uh, constantly for this because, you know, you come through a program and you learn so much. And I had developed some training sessions uh, that I was using material out of the, you know, out of my program and out of the study. And, and that was going well. I'm getting invitations to speak and train here and there and everywhere. Uh, but I knew now I've got to get this into something people can, you know, can, can use. And, uh, but I, you need a framework. You need, you know, felt like I needed a visual, you know, we're visual learners. And I'm like, how do I talk about this in a way? There's so many complexities that are interconnected. <laughs> My wife's sitting at the table. She goes, well, sweetie, isn't it just like a bridge? And oh, Deb, the lights went off out of my head. I'm like, that's a that's it. That's a great concept. I actually spent about the next three months reading everything I could on bridges. Again, here goes the data guy, right? So I, I learned all about bridge architecture and construction and and, and learned how complex it was. And what, what I identified were these six components that we find in a suspension bridge are great analogies of the six components of trusted leadership. So that's kind of where the, the, the passion and the idea came out. I had um, a, a major publisher that approached me. I was actually doing a trading for school consultants and the publisher was there. We engaged a conversation, worked together actually for a few years when they actually, during the pandemic, took a shift uh, and ended up not publishing the book. First, I thought it was a negative thing because we'd been working on it for literally years. And they gave it all back to me, even with all the work of their editors, uh, because just their, their catalog, they decided not to include this in their catalog. It wasn't negative about the book. They literally blessed me with, with everything. So was able to you know, release it uh, through Amazon or KDP. And uh, honestly, and it's not false humility, had no clue I would end up in Forbes and winning awards. That, that was never the intent. Really, the intent was with the schools that I have helped, um, those that I would like to help in the future, and, and even those that I won't I won't personally be able to help. Like, no, this has changed how I have led schools. I've seen using this framework turn schools and organizations around and literally just wanted the resource out there. Because if, if leaders miss this, Deb, it's why 70% of improvement initiatives don't work. Um, and that's a stat that we talk about all the time. But, you know, 70% of new business launches, 70% of the school initiatives, 70% of business improvement initiatives fail. Why do they fail? It all comes back to leadership. And you've got to get this trust element right. And if you skip over that, you're just setting yourself up for failure. So it is the issue. And like you quoted uh, from the research, it is the number one indicator of success. And what's really fascinating about that, it doesn't seem to matter how we measure or define success. You know, the school world, if we're talking about student achievement levels, teacher retention rates, community support and involvement in the private school sector, the financial bottom line, every one of those benefits or indicators are directly connected to the level of trust in the school's leadership. And the same holds true in the business and manufacturing sector and in the nonprofit world. Well, it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, we all have our sector, but we're borderless. And it doesn't matter what sector we're in, we're all in the people business. Yes, right. And if we don't have trust and rapport, 
you can have the best of the best and it's not going to work. It's not going to move ahead. And I think it's so important. I'm so excited now to go get your book. I need to read this book. And good for your wife. You know, the best things come out of a kitchen table conversation. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to switch to my fab four. Four fun questions. This is where you have to tell the data guy to take a break because we just want whatever's sitting on the top of your brilliant mind. First question, tell us something that we don't know about you. Well, for uh, many years, I was in show business. Uh, so as, uh, as a young man, uh, actually as a teenager, I was mentored by an old vaudeville performer who had retired and became like another grandpa to me. And so by the time I was 14, 15, I was doing school assemblies and blue and gold dinners and uh, rotary club dinners. And, and I was uh, performing as a magician. I grew up in a musical family and so uh, was an aspiring singer. Uh, you can still find it on oh, eBay. I, actually, there was an album that was released, released in 1985. Uh, I have a brother that's a songwriter and he and I collaborated. So no, I, I, entertainment background. So aspiring actor, magician, illusionist, singer. I produced a touring uh, variety show for a number of years uh, before seg segueing into professional education. Education was always in the background. It was always a passion, but it was always kind of, well, if I wasn't on the road touring, you know, I'd, I'd teach. And, and I finally, I did about 20 years on the road and had had enough. I, I lived the dream and, uh, and it was time, you know, to, to do something different. But there you go. That I love that. And, and a lot of, and I've talked about this with other uh, interviews, that a lot of transferable skills, though, from managing a production company and a roadshow um, to leading schools, actually, there's been a lot of transferable skills. And so unlikely path to school administration. But, uh, but yeah, there you go. I love that. And I love that you highlighted transferable skills. If we go back to the first job we had as a young person, and wrote down every job we've had since to present moment. There's a lot of transferable yeah. skills in there. People forget that. So I'm, I'm glad that you pointed that out. And I love that you had this balanced career. You were, you were doing your due diligence for longevity in the background, but living in the moment also at the same time. That, that's work-life integration right there. I love it. Okay, second question. Favorite book that you've ever read? that you found was really impactful for your life? And if you can remember the title and the author, we'd love for you to share. Well, not to sound overly spiritual, but certainly the Bible, uh, my goodness. And I think of Christian authors like George MacDonald, who was actually the inspiration for C.S. Lewis. Uh, and, you know, I, I think uh, mere Christianity was just a Wow, what a, and, and you have to read it, understanding the context of the time in which he wrote it as well. I know there's been criticism of, of his work as well, but of course, everyone knows him for Chronicles of Narnia, and those are lovely books and stories. So that, you know, as far as personal growth and impact, even Lewis's Space Trilogy, you know, wonderful fiction, but there is so many lessons about humanity and life and uh, just a brilliant, brilliant man and brilliant writer and, and McDonald before him. And there have been some updates to the McDonald novels. They've been rewritten in more contemporary English. They're a little bit easier to get through uh, than if you read the originals. But uh, those, as far as, um, you know, just enjoyment and sit back and 
you know, cozy up by the fire with a good old book. Those, those are those come to mind right away. I love that. That that's not the first time it's been mentioned several times on the podcast. You're in good company. Mm. Okay, third question. I am going to grant you a wish, and you get to have dinner with a leader. So to provide some context, the leader can be living or they could have passed away. Who are you having dinner with? And what is the conversation at dinner? Just one. <laughs> just just one. Well, I think today, because I've been such a fan of his work and have used so much of his work, uh, I would love to interact with Jim Collins and his good to great work. It, to me, just absolutely brilliant. And I have seen, you know, that problem, how good is the enemy of great? Uh, I've seen it in the schools and the organizations that I've been a part of and those that I'm trying to help is often we are our own worst enemies to actually reach our mission fulfillment because there's so much mission drift, as it's been called, that goes on. We, we get involved. Um, I do a lot with the Christian school world and I love Christian education. Unfortunately, a lot of Christian education, and I want to be careful that I'm not over, but there are many schools that do not reach the level of excellence that they could because they're so busy doing so many good things. You know, they're trying to meet the needs in their community, which is great, and they're trying to meet the needs of their families and their students. But uh, as uh, Dr. Bruce Lockerbie once said, a school is a school, and you've got to keep that in mind. So what I love about Collins is just this idea of understanding that great schools, great organizations, great ministries, great, you know, pick your sector again. We're back at the universal. They know where they're going, and they stay focused, and they know what to say no to in order to stay focused. There are so many needs in the world, and, and I get it, it's, it's hard work. But this is why it is very, very important for organizations, and I would say even individuals, to know what is your mission, what are you committed and called to, and what are your values that surround that mission about how you're gonna do this, and what does that look like, and then process everything you're doing through that mission and vision and those values. It's a good quotient to have, and it's easy to talk about and harder to implement and sustain, and I think you're doing it very well. So before we close out the show with my last question, I'm going to have you finish a sentence, but I just want to say that uh, super grateful that our, our paths have crossed, and thank you for taking the time to share not only your experience and your expertise, but giving us a little glimpse into the heart-centered leadership work that you're doing. Thank you. And I'm going to close out the show by asking you question number four is to finish this sentence in your own words. Whatever pops into your mind first and foremost, heart-centered leadership is... It's all about trust. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new tools for your leadership from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. And if you want some more Heart-Centered goodness, head over to our daily blog, masteringtheheart.com.